Welcome to the Adapt Podcast, a podcast for executive leaders looking to be successful in the digital age. Get practical tips from successful leaders and listen as digital movers and shakers talk about how they transformed companies into the digital era. Here is your host, Luis Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Adapt Podcast. Today is the number eight. And with us, we have Miguel Moreira. Miguel is a good friend of mine. It's a really interesting person that I had the pleasure to meet when I came back to Portugal a couple of years ago. And I'm really, really excited to bring him to the show because he has huge amount of experience. And I want to you guys to access to all his knowledge and all his experience. So Miguel, thank you so much for being here and welcome. It's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Miguel. My pleasure. My pleasure. Miguel, I wanted to start a little bit about yourself. So to start this show, knowing a little bit about you, of course, I know you, but my audience, our audience does not know. So I would ask you to show us or guide us a little bit through your career and your background so that people know who is Miguel and who is the guy that we have in the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luis. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to have this discussion with you. To start with, when you say it's got a long experience, meaning this is an old man. Yes, I am an old man. <laughs> I've been around for a while. Well, what can I say about that? It's just uh, life. The good thing is that I'm still excited about uh, career and technology. Technology my, is my passion. Always was connected with technology. I'm one of the ones that my, uh, say, professional future was decided. There's a lot of people like me. It was decided in, in July 1969 when there was a, a man on the moon. And I saw that, I was awakened, and a lot of people that moved their lives. It changed my life. I knew exactly what I wanted to do from then on was technology. That brought me into engineering, brought me into um, automotive, which I started, I worked for General Motors. Then uh, introducing a management layer on top of that, I went to consulting. I worked for Arthur Anderson and then for PwC on uh, basically supply chain, manufacturing, consultancy uh, processes and technology, then already management systems. And then I went to telecoms, uh, in which I was almost 15 years, uh, having a, a long career. It's a very exciting sector, I would say, industry, because uh, not only are large transformative companies, but it's because of the product. The product is really, really changed our lives. You know, broadband, internet, mobile, everything that we use comes from telecom. So it's really interesting that you are doing technology in a technology business, which is telecom. So it's really exciting. So I was there 15 years. I was uh, managing IT, big organization, complex architectures, uh, very, very demanding processes, but still very interesting. I left about five years ago, and then I start uh, a different phase of my career as an entrepreneur, a little bit as an independent consultant. So I'm trying, having more control about what I do right now, where I spend my time, but still, and again, always on technology. So it's been uh, a journey, very interesting, and I uh, still look at the future with enthusiasm and uh, hope. So it's uh, this is me. It's impossible to get away from technology nowadays, I think. <laughs> it's such a pillar of our society. In some way or another, I think most of, the, of us are working with some kind of technology. Miguel, I always like to start this show asking you 
or asking our guests, what is digital transformation for you? Because everyone talks about digital transformation, but there are thousands of different definitions. Your opinion, especially your opinion, really interests me because, as I said, you worked in telecom for so many years, and I think telecoms was one of the industries that suffered maybe a little bit with this whole transformation, right? So if you think about uh, WhatsApp, if you think about Facebook calls or Instagram, right, really, they destroyed what was the core business of telecommunications some years ago. I really want to hear your opinion because in this case, it was not just about technology. It was the entire business model that was completely disrupted. So what is digital transformation for you and what does it represent? And that's the the key element, I, I would say. It's probably one of the mostly misused terms because it's become a generic thing for everything and nothing. And like always, you know, everybody talks about it. It's in everybody's mouth, but it's. Uh, I think you have to understand what it means. You know, first of all, I would separate the potential of disruption that digital brings. And I think it's something that it's really high in there. That's very related with one phenomena that we are, we humans are very poor in managing, which is the exponential speed of the development of technology. Meaning that the potential of the digital transformation, I would call it digital disruption, comes from how fast as it evolved in the last 100 years. And obviously our bio brains cannot really compute an exponential growth of any kind. I mean, every time you do the math, you know, there's so many very cool examples from the king that uh, uh, was trading uh, rice and grains of rice and uh, was doubling and so forth. From the, if you add up sheets of paper in a stack, uh, you know, if you fold 42 times, it takes you to the moon. You know, nobody believes because our brains are not prepared to handle uh, digital exponential growth phenomena. And that's what happened with digital. And that's related with the potential, which, which is a disruption. Then transformation is different. Is what do we do with that? You know, how much of that disruption do we transform into actually new processes, new services, new products? for people to use and for the economy to use. Obviously, there's a big gap between transformation and disruption. And I think that gap, it creates a lot of uh, anxiety to people because you always feel that you're falling behind if you are an organization. I could do more with that. And I, I think we have to kind of face that there's only some will be able to do some of that potential. There will always be a gap, which is a natural gap. But there's probably also a challenge that we, we should be able to do more. And I think that should be in, uh, in our horizons always to try to do more. Obviously, probably the answer is, why is it so hard? And I, I think it's mainly because transformation, you have to change legacy processes. You have to change people's minds, conventions, policies. And that's very hard to do because we don't like to change. You know, it's been written millions of books about it. I mean, we're very resistant to change. So that's the reason for the gap. But I would say the potential comes from the exponential speed that technology has evolved. Transformation is how much you can do with that. There's a big gap. The, the gap should be smaller in the future, but that creates a lot of anxiety. Well, yeah, I love that you separate in, in two parts, let's say. And I was talking about the access of the, the speed of technology and that Last week, I was picking up some boxes here in my house and I opened one of the boxes and I had a spectrum. <laughs> a 
an old computer, so the younger generation was probably does not know what the Spectrum is, but it's uh, it's what, what was my first computer most, almost 30 years ago. And if you think about the processing power that we had in this in that computer and what we have in iPhone, you have so much power of processing nowadays. And the speed of technology is coming faster and faster and faster and it's being disrupted. That is very hard to actually keep up to the speed. <laughs> and what is coming is, is incredible. Yeah, but the, the challenge is exactly that. How much uh, advantages do you take personally or uh, economically from that uh, increase of uh, processing speed, right? How much do you take out of that potential? Yeah, that's true because at some point it's, just more speed, but doesn't really impact so much the business model or the outcomes that you will produce with your own company if you only think about technology, right? So yeah, I, I fully understand. Okay, Miguel. So the next question that I have for you is, what are the benefits that you see for established companies? Not the, the normal startups. It's very easy to change because they are so small, they can shift direction in a very easy way. But what are the advantages that the companies that are established longer in the market can take out of the digital era, digital transformation? What kind of advantage do you think that they could take out of it? Um, that's a very important question, Luis. Uh, let me tell you, my approach to it is probably not so conventional. It's not so conventional. It surprises me that, that there's not people that uh, relate technology and the potential of digital with something that is hard facts. I mean, we tend to relate with the uh, soft improvements, but not so much as with hard improvements. I think there is a strong link about uh, digital transformation and the potential of technology with productivity. And we have been quite poor in correlating the two things. I think productivity is the key. I mean, once we'll be able to transform digital and technology into a higher productivity levels at a uh, process level and at economical level, I think that's the key to actually get people engaged, get companies engaged, and to actually quantify exactly the potential impact. And this is uh, puzzling because if you look at um, productivity evolution charts from, let's say, mid of the 20th century after the World War and uh, let's say the first industrial rev revolution, it's amazing that you see the improvement there in terms of productivity growth. But then when you hit probably around, you probably get into the second uh, industrial revolution, uh, let's say the digital revolution, let's say the 1995, just before the internet, mm -hmm. you can see that the productivity levels, the growth basically gets into a plateau. And that's a puzzling phenomena. You know, why have we been seeing the economy growing so much, but the productivity not growing so much. And actually, it's a puzzling. Economists have been, uh, you know, spending a lot of time around this. Unfortunately, they have not been gaining the traction and to transform that discussion into companies. You know, why, if we get so much technology, why is not the productivity growing equivalent to that, let alone the exponential growth that technology brings us? And I think that's very well related with return on investment. And it's very well related with the hard economical impact of technology. And I think that's the biggest puzzle. When we try to get a company to use more technology and to make such an investment, when we have hard time doing that, it's because we cannot transform that technology into a productivity gain. 
obviously there re- there are reasons for that you know of different kind economists they call it the the productivity paradox you know maybe we're not measuring productivity well maybe it takes time in the first industrial revolution in the beginning of the 20th century when we changed from steam uh, machines to electrical machines on factories it took about 30 years to actually you gain the productivity improvements because you have to change process you have to change equipment and sometimes you have to change people sometimes you have to change generations to take advantage of that it's really hard so what i'm focusing is on a, a measurement scale which is productivity and the interesting pieces is is the why you know why can't we extract more productivity from technology and i think it's very focused on keeping the old processes and basically people do not recognize in general that they are part of the problem and unless we have the talent and the capability to show them what they have to gain by doing the process differently there will be an obstacle to change the process that's why we are so resistant so i think sometimes maybe uh, the solution may not be so complex as that because if we have the talent to show people that they have something to gain by changing the process that will release that change easier so coming to your point is the inability for companies to transform the potential of technology on productivity gains do you want a guide to ensure you will not become irrelevant in the digital era download the amazon bestseller book adapt adaptmethodology.com/book i loved couple of things that you said that so you compare the steam age with the industrial machinery age and a couple of months ago i took um, a mini course in mit and the, the person that was giving the course said something very very interesting he said you know if you think about everyone now is trying to go into the digital era and trying to change entire companies but this is not so simple as you mentioned and he gave the example of exactly what you said the steam the time of the steam engines and then the move to the electrical engine he probably wrote, wrote the book that i read you know it was the digital transformation playbook from rogers yeah and um so if you know let me share it with the audience so what he said was it was not enough to change simply the process even the display of the machinery in the entire factory was different because when the engines were moved with steam and water they needed to be positioned close to the water but now when they moved into electrical scenario they don't need to and they even had at that time companies even had consultants teaching factories how to design factories in a completely different way and how they would be able to increase the productivity with new type of engines and that's very very interesting because i always use that kind of example to really show the parallel idea to what we are living because i i still believe that most of companies and people do not realize how big the change is towards what we had 20 years ago my personal opinion is and this is my personal opinion in 100 years time people will look back and i believe that covid-19 will be the mark that actually triggers truly the digital age i believe and it's my personal opinion because so many things change during these times of pandemia so i really believe that will change but again human being needs the urgency in order to change as you said people don't like to change yeah and, and luis let, let me pick up on on that point you know and and i think my interpretation of that is because 
people correlate change with losing their jobs. Yes. And jobs are the main element of people's lives because it's what uh, provides them income. It's what provides them respect by their peers, by their family. And it's what uh, provides them the respect of the society as being a productive element and a taxpayer. Yeah, you are touching you are touching on the Maslow pyramid, right? The needs. Totally, totally. When people think that by changing they can lose their jobs, they get on the defensive. So when they get on the defensive, uh, we are basically stuck because the technology will fail most likely or will be very difficult. Obviously that's a hard thing to do, but the talent will be that there's maybe you will lose something you will gain something. I think that's a key element for an organization to get people out of the defensive mode into the, I have something to gain with that, you know? On the process perspective, we have this tendency to add layers of complexity. So if I need to change something, I don't change what I do before, but I'm just going to do something more. And I had a joke with one of my customers in Germany. Well, when I was there, I was always making fun in a nice way, of course, not in a negative way, depreciative way, but I was always teasing my colleagues, my German colleagues that they said, if something goes wrong, you don't do a hood cause analysis to see what, what went wrong. You just put another process on top of it there you to go. make sure <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> yeah. the mistake doesn't happen again. Instead of doing a hood cause, you just put another yeah. process. And of course, I'm pretty sure this happens everywhere in the world, but I was always no, making no, fun that's, of uh, that. That's a good example because, uh, you know, we know that the to extract the potential of digital and to increase productivity, sometimes we have to replace processes with the new process. That's very hard to do, much, much harder than we think. Let me give you an example. I saw it the other day. Everybody knows about what Amazon Go is, you know, that uh, all-censored Amazon store that uh, you get in uh, and um, uh, you get out with the product and it's basically uh, going to debit in your card and there's no checkout process and so forth. You know, we all seen the videos of that. But the concept behind it, it's what's very interesting, you know, because if you talk to a traditional retailer, they do a survey to their customers and the customers, I think it's 30, 40% of the time, they say they hate the checkout process. They hate to be in line. They hate to be putting the products on the belt. They hate to put it on the boxes and so forth. Okay. So what do they do? They do a wider belt. They do a more comfortable place to wait. They put some products for people to buy while they are waiting, you know? How did Amazon look at that? They said, people don't like it. 40% of the customers don't like the waiting and the checkout process. Let's eliminate the checkout process. Yeah. And that's a totally different mindset. Yes. The traditionals, until an outsider came along and proposed something that is radical, it's quite obvious if, if you look at it, but it's not obvious when you are in the middle of the process. So a lot of times, my point here, is you're too much involved in the process. You cannot have that perspective to actually be innovative. So somebody from the outside has got to be the disruptor. Let me pick up on that one. So recently, me and my team worked with, with a, big, a big company here in Portugal, and it was very interesting because that exactly what you said happened, meaning they had a huge project. So basically, before you could even start doing some software development, it would easily take four to six months, even before you could start, right? So one of the things that we, we were helping them is how the heck are we going to improve this? And it's very interesting that every single person within the organization was trying to improve the process 
inside of the process, right? So let's do small increments here, so let's do small increments there. And, and me and my team said, no, let's start from scratch. Yeah, but we have, I don't care with the rules, I don't care with your legacy, let's start from scratch. And then we see what is really mandatory from the legal point of view, whatever. And basically it was incredible because by doing this, completely jumping away from the internal process and the internal, let's say, mindset, being an outsider guy, we were able to build a completely new process from scratch that basically they reduced the three months to almost a couple of weeks. And then, of course, they needed this kind of piece. We need this kind of piece. And then we added exactly what they needed from the requirement, from the legal point of view, from the central office requirement point of view. We added everything, but we completely destroyed. And I knew, we know that there was the third or the fourth time they went through this process. And they were saying, oh, but we already did that. We already did that. There is nothing where we can improve. Why? Because they were doing exactly what you're saying. They were inside of the process. They were not able to think outside of the box. They were completely on the tunnel and they were not able to eliminate or, or really step back and think in a completely different way. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's normal. That's human. We all do it. You know, we have so much, so many good excuses not to do it or to think on compliance and to think on obstacles. So I think you need to have, uh, you need to have courage and you have to be, uh, not afraid to create enemies, not afraid to fail, to actually take advantage of that potential and to close that gap. I think that's totally key to actually do digital transformation. Yes. Yeah. But the problem is, and I even discussed this couple of episodes ago, that is easier said than done. Because if you take a look, you're many years in an enterprise, so you know what I'm talking about. But for example, our companies, the enterprise are designed in the way that they will reward people that do not take risk. If you spend a couple of years doing your job, and you just do your job and you make sure that you are not really crazy or really innovative and you don't screw up anything, you know that in three, four years you get a promotion. But you know, if you are really crazy, innovative, you start to raise problems. Most probably when they know the, the, the promotion time comes, you will not be the guy that gets the promotion. Yeah, that's what's funny about, about it. You know, it's not to comply. You know, I, th I think a career... That's the fun of it, you know, it's to basically challenge the system, not to try to be in the middle of the crowd every time. I think a corporation is, is tremendously powerful. I mean, when you, you can do so many things from a big company, from inside the big company. So uh, I don't believe that uh, transformation will come all from uh, startups and new companies. I think the challenge is exactly to take advantage of the power customer base, financial support, structures, people that the big company has. Into, it's so much easier. I've been there to create transformation there. You just have to get the right cocktail of people to be bold, to be challenging the system and not just to be complying. You know, you know I think, uh, again, this may be a cliche, but it, it's all about people. I think technology, it's all about the groups of people that you are able to put together at a certain moment of time. And th those people, they can do a lot of disruption if you get the right uh, cocktail and diversity of uh, profiles and uh, basically the spark and the ambition to do something different and to go after results. Yes. No, I agree with you. The big corporations have a lot what the startups don't have, especially, as you said, what I would say is market share, customer base, money. 
some of them or most of them they have the capability to go for months with really good comfortable financial situation startups don't have that that luxurious but um but i fully agree it's all about the people but then we come back again to the maslow pyramid right <laughs> yeah but that's but but again you know uh to somebody that is listening uh younger starting their career that's what makes a career interesting is to be able to challenge the status quo inside an organization i think it's always worth it to do it you know and then you have the serious risk to end up like us as an entrepreneur <laughs> uh, eventually but uh, again it's always some uh, good aspects of it <laughs> Uh, Miguel, I wanted to know, change a little bit the topic, not so much changing, but focus in a very interesting area that I have a special interest. So you have been focusing a couple of the last couple of years of your life career, focusing a lot on the education side. So I have my own opinion about the education. I have a brother that is a professor in university. I'm very close to the university education system in Portugal. And I really believe that they kind of are stuck in time. They are still using the same methods that they were using 100 years ago. And now Zoom and all these nice tools with the pandemic show there is a huge space. But I would not like to focus just on, on the tools because the tools was just a channel used. Because at the end, the process is the way, the, the evaluation, the program is still exactly the same. They just changed the channel of the distribution. But I really would love to talk more Where do you see education going? So you are doing a lot of online learning, helping companies to establish learning paths for their companies, for their career paths inside of the organization. So I really would love to hear your opinion on that topic. Where do you see it's the future of education in this new era? No, no, it's a very interesting topic. And, and you know what? I, I have an opinion also, Luis, you know? <laughs> and to me, the biggest problem of education nowadays is that you got uh, 7 billion people and they all have an opinion. And it's all a different opinion, you know? <laughs> Everybody has got an opinion about education. And that's so difficult to get an agreement on something. And that's, to me, one of the biggest problems. But again, it's interesting because it's a theme that affects everybody from your children to your you as a professional, you as a manager, you as a student and so forth. So it's a, a really important subject, but it's a, a really hard to manage subject. You know, first of all, the method, you know, you mentioned it, you said a uh, hundred years. No, I think it's a thousand years. You probably in general, the teaching method today, it's not, obviously there are many exceptions, but in general, You teach like people were learning about uh, a thousand years ago. That did not change. You got a, somebody that it's, uh, speaks very well, very good communicator, and it's very knowledgeable on a certain matter. And he speaks for hours and people listen. You know, that's, uh, that's the, still the traditional method. I'm being a bit uh, hard on my opinion, but in general, that's the thing. I think the biggest um, change factor Again, it's very well re related with the exponential speed that we talked about. Uh, the problem was there before the exponential speed of technology, but I think the economy accelerated so much that something that was obvious now became very evident, which is throughout person's career, let's take a person that, uh, you know, he starts working at 25 and he retires at uh, 65. So he's got 40 years of a career and he's probably was on education, let's put it on higher education for five years. So he was five years on higher education, 40 years working. 
And people still think that after those five years, when he's 25, he's done for the next 40 years. Well, I never saw that perspective, but yeah, you were completely right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, I will send you a chart that I saw, which is basically breaks down the average life of a person on weeks. It's actually quite depressing when you count the number of weeks that an average life have. And in different colors, it uh, basically prints out the time that you dedicate to learn and the time that you dedicate to work. And it's a little bit like uh, you exercise, right? It's a little bit like you exercise until 22 and you're done for life. You never have to exercise again until the end of your life. We all know that it's totally wrong. And especially this has been exposed with the speed of change. So what you learn on university is very interesting, very good, but continuous learning it's again, lifelong learning is a, another cliche, totally misused and misunderstood. People don't understand that uh, unless a professional has the capability to take learning as a parallel stream to work in their career, is made up. I mean, it cannot survive on the competitive world, especially with the pace of change that we are living right now. So that stopped to be an optional and start to be a mandatory, but still the method, it's not there. So how can I learn while I am working? Obviously the tools like e-learning and the MOOCs, Coursera and so forth, they've made a tremendous uh, progress in the last 10 years, more or less, but still in general, quite inefficient. Obviously the pandemic has created uh, levels of acceptance that were not there, you know, but still this parallel stream of learning as being part of your career is not uh, yet embedded on the society. And I think that's the biggest problem we have to address. You know, people have to understand that they have to learn more throughout their careers. And again, it's people, but again, it's companies because most of the people are inside companies and work and the company has a vested interest that the people know more. Obviously, companies sponsor education programs on technologies and things like that, but they have to do more than that. So I think there has to be some sort of a consensus between government, between the companies and between the people, there should be a mandatory number of hours and process to learn in parallel throughout its career. So it's something that it's mandatory. It's not an optional thing for the, let's say, the worker to continuous to be a productive citizen to its company. It's mandatory. It's like you do the mandatory health check in order for you to keep healthy, you know, it should be the same thing. Now, what is the method? I don't know. It's difficult to get consensus there. And again, because most people don't face this frontally, that learning, especially when you are an adult, it's hard. It's not fun. Teach a 35-year-old person that never coded to teach how to code. You will get crazy after one hour. It's hard. And people are not used to do hard things. People avoid doing hard things. They prefer to watch Netflix. It's much more fun. So you have to make up your mind that learning is important, but it's hard to do. We have to get incentives for people to learn and to create easier methods for people to learn, allow them time, subsidize them, give them money to learn, whatever. I don't know. But uh, in, you know, in my opinion, that's a big theme for the society. Very poorly handled. And again, because everybody's got an opinion, I just share with you my opinion. It's probably uh, a, the wrong opinion. But again, it's something that uh, 
we all discuss and I don't see consensus or we ending up in something that is a policy that makes sense, that it's applicable. I think, and it will not be easy to someone to come up with a policy because at the end of the day, inside of your own organization, you are the one telling what you want, you not as a leader, right? So it will be very hard, or but you could have some more support from government or whatever, but I think that's hard. But I share the same opinion. So at this moment, we are really thinking inside of Evolution for All, we are discussing that we only work four days a week with our customers and the fifth day is basically for us to come together. Um, people, we are trying to set up communities of practice with books so that people read books and then they, they do workshops between us presenting the topics and then discuss how can we actually improve our service and what we have to offer to our customers. There you go, Luigina. If, if I can build on that, you know, better productivity from technology can release working hours. You don't have to fire people. Maybe you need them to invest better on learning new things that they will apply in the future. And, by, and you keep jobs by doing that. You get the economical gain of the productivity. You can keep the jobs, probably make more money and make people's lives and to contribute to the society. Obviously, I'm simplifying it very much. But that's the sort of policy that maybe a government should be imposing to companies and to actually comply with that. You know, we're looking at the, the way that we were operating 100 years ago. And uh, I think that mo model is totally broken. So it's a big thing. Uh, difficult to address in our and I, I don't like to speak so much about evolution here because it's not i don't like to pitch here but it's, it's i think it what i wanted to share now it's a good idea for our listeners but what we are trying to see do is actually to build on top of what you said that people don't lose the jobs and actually it's the opposite so what we are trying to do is actually asking people to learn to come up with new skill sets and if they want we are going to try this maybe next year if they want they can even open a different brand of the company with the skill set they are learning and actually they could become even entrepreneurs within the organization to go and try to apply the new skill set that they are learning so what i wanted to do is actually create a really crazy culture of learning and entrepreneurship that people are always eager to learn new things so that they can actually generate their own careers, their own enterprise, not enterprises because we are a small startup, but their own business unit, whatever you want to call it. And I think with this, you can really get tapped into intrinsic motivation. You can really tell people, you know, please learn because you have your reward down the road and you don't take the risk of losing your job. On the contrary, you can actually increase. Yeah, but, but you know what, Luis, for a big corporation, would be so easy to implement this. Yes. The problem is that because they stuck on so much on conventional thinking and uh, they are afraid to shake a little bit the boat, they don't do it. They are afraid to do it. And that's a mistake because the potential to do this sort of programs inside the corporation are, are tremendous. I, I've, there are a couple of examples of it in exceptions, you know. For example, AT&T, which is, you know, I, I know AT&T very well because it's a telecom company, tele telecom giant that has got uh, over 250. Now they have sold parts of the business, but uh, a couple of years ago, they had over 250,000 employees. And again, because technology changed, you know, we came on telecoms from analog to digital, from digital to internet to IP and so forth. So the skills have changed and they have you know, a beautiful and very competent and great employees that are maybe on their 50s. They still have 15 years to go. 
and uh, they lost a little bit their ground because the technology changed and they have done a very interesting program on, uh, let's say, reskilling, uh, improving the capabilities of their current people. Well, uh, but they do it massively as a mandatory, but with rewards. So they did not do it. It's mandatory. You have to do it. Otherwise, it will be, uh, you know, penalty. You have a penalty, but with uh, something that the employee could actually see the value of it and to gain gratification from it. So it's uh, there are exceptions out there. But to me, what strikes me is that because I was in big companies, so I know the potential that they have, they could do so much more on this, but they just have to get involved and they have to be, have the courage to actually uh, see there is value for the company also by change. Do you want to accelerate digital leadership knowledge? Register for the Digital Leadership Accelerator, www.digitalleadershipaccelerator.com. Miguel, I want to ask you the last two questions. So the first one is, what was the biggest learning that you had in your career? And the second one is, what is your advice? And you already shared some in this show, but what is your advice for young leaders that are jumping into leadership careers or they want to jump into leadership careers? Well, this is really an old man's advice, right? Uh, <laughs> end of the line. <laughs> That's why I like it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, what can I tell you? You know, well, as the biggest, uh, let's say, uh, learning, uh, again, can sound paradoxically because I, like I've told you, and you told technology is my life, but uh, the interesting piece is, is the people. We tend to be skeptical about uh, people that think differently than you. And I think in general, I would say the biggest uh, learning is that by far, most people are well-intentioned. Most people want to do good. Most people want to be productive. Most people want to learn. And we cannot, I mean, there's the risk of generalization that nobody wants to work. Everybody wants to sneak. No, that's not true. People will surprise you positively. And sometimes the less likely groups of people and sometimes less skilled group of people are the biggest surprises. So my experience was because I worked uh, the consultancy, you know, very cohesion uh, group of people, you know, good universities, young people work a lot of hours. I went to telecoms and I thought that, ah, this is like a civil servants, you know, it was a total surprise, you know, even big corporations with older people and different uh, backgrounds, people are the same. People want to do good. People get excited if you find what are the right buttons to press and to get them evolved, you know. I can tell you that a career, I avoid to talk this to young people because uh, sometimes, you know, in family and so forth, or people that I've worked, they ask you for some, you know, a career is probably, I don't know, five to 10 times harder than they think they, it is in the beginning. And it's good that they're not aware of that, you know, but this is, uh, <laughs> it's going to be tougher than you think, maybe five times at least, you know. But still very exciting, you know, and it's still very rewarding, in my opinion, you know. You need always to keep that learning spirit, the trusting spirit on people. You get people that will disappoint you, but you, you have to keep trust because most people will do good for you, not bad. And you have to think big, especially if you want to lead people. People don't follow people that think small. People follow dreamers. People follow people that can get them to higher places, people that they can learn with. And I think that's a, uh, if you have the ambition to be a leader, uh, I think that's very important. You know, you have to think big, be positive, dream, and people will follow. You know, you have to be fair with people. I think it's very important 
that you get along well with your boss. I mean, if you don't get along with your boss, I mean, change jobs. Don't expect that he will change. He will not change. He's in a stronger position than you. He's on the higher ground. So if you don't get along with your boss, move. And again, get around people that are diverse. You are diverse. You know, it's really interesting, my relationship with you. You know, I'm you're so different than everybody else that I know. You know, you're the sort of people that I look for for <laughs> diversity. You know, I've been learning with you a lot. You know, it's really interesting. Wow. Thank you so much. You know, you have to be close to people that are better than you, not worse than you, because uh, otherwise you'll tend to be like them, not like the people that are better than you, more intelligent than you. I think that's an intelligent move is to get close to intelligent people. There's this saying, right, that you are the average of the five people that you talk the most, right? So if you think about, try to put yourself around people, try to be the dumbest person in the room. There you go. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's really uh, true. And again, I think your success on these terms, your success in an organization, as surprising as it may be, is the number of enemies that you have created. You know, if you don't create, if everybody loves you, you did something wrong. You're doing something wrong. It's because you're not creating disruption. You know, you have to create enemies, not by the objective of creating enemies. It's because by having people that do not agree with you, is the first uh, symptom that you are really being uh, bold and disrupting. And I think it's my advice to be that, be that person. So that's good. So every time I enter in the customer, a couple of weeks later, the C-suite is always asked, saying that there is someone already asking them to kick us out. So it means that we are doing something. That's the ultimate compliment, in my opinion. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so every time, every time I, I get contacted, I say, well, we can work with you if you are prepared to get some disruption, serious disruption. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Miguel, thank you so much. It was really, really nice to have you here. I will include the link for your LinkedIn in, in, the, in the show notes. So if people want to ask you, if people want to reach out to you so that they can have the contact. It was a pleasure. Always great. My pleasure. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And then I really wish you all the best. Thank you, Luis. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Adapt Podcast. Head on over to www.adaptmethodology.com slash scorecard to benchmark your ability as a leader to adapt your entire organization to the digital era. You will be able to identify plenty of opportunities for leveraged growth. 